0: Hello again and welcome. My name is Ken Drews and you're about to be listening to Ken Drews Real Dirt the Garden Show. Well, it's the end of the season, the end of the growing season, and we have to say goodbye to those wonderful fruits and vegetables that we've grown through the season. But we don't have to put them away forever because today's guest, Abigail Gehring, is the editor of a new book. And we're going to talk about preserving the harvest, how to keep those herbs, fruits, vegetables fresh throughout the winter. Clem's Song Sparrow Farm and Nursery grows extraordinary herbaceous perennials, uncommon trees and shrubs, and a selection of luxurious peonies. Song Sparrow Nursery is a proud underwriter of Kendrew's Real Dirt. songsparrow.com S-O-N-G S-P-A-R-R-O-W dot com I wish more people had root cellars. I've got a basement, and it's about 55 degrees throughout the entire winter, but it's kind of humid, so when I put things down in the basement, some things come through the winter, some uh, things like winter squash and apples, but uh, it's so humid that uh, they don't always stay so perfectly fresh. Sometimes they get a little bit of rot here and there, and it's just not perfect. But I do have a cabinet in the kitchen that's very cool and that's where i keep my butternut squash and and those potatoes but i'll tell you i'm i'm as you know if you listen to this show i am a fool for butternut squash and i can keep those butternut squash from now right until well i usually finish them up around april I finish up the last few of them and they stay perfectly fresh and beautiful right until april into this very cool cabinet Abigail's new book is really a guide to green living, every single thing you can possibly think about and think of. And the thing we're going to concentrate on today is putting up, keeping those vegetables and fruits through drying and freezing and canning. My guest today is Abigail Garing, editor of a new book called Self-Sufficiency, A Complete Guide to Baking, Carpentry, Crafts, Organic Gardening, Preserving Your Harvest, Raising Animals, and More. People in the country and in the city are looking for ways to reduce their carbon footprint and get back to the land. The book presents basic ways to get greener. Abigail, uh, hello, first of all.
1: Hi, how are you? Fine,
0: thanks. And uh, what is the publication date for self-sufficiency?
1: It's coming out in November, so very soon.
0: Very soon. Well, I have to admit, I have not seen the book but uh, I would like you to tell me about it. And it sounds like this book must weigh about 35 pounds. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it is a big book. Um, it's got a lot of step-by-step instructions as well as a lot of great photographs, if I do say so myself. Um, yeah, it covers a lot of material, everything you might want to know for building small houses on your property, for canning and preserving, building furniture, um, spinning and weaving a lot of old skills that have sort of gone out of style but i like to think are coming back into style
0: well they definitely are and i'm sure that even if people aren't going to build their own houses they want to know how to build their own houses and and especially do it green but uh, i was reading a little bit about you and your husband is building a post and beam house in vermont right now
1: he is actually we both grew up in vermont um, and although i'm currently working in the city he is still living up there and is building an old post-and-green style house. He's uh, harvesting the the wood from trees on the land and doing it as much as possible with hand tools.
0: Oh, um, well, there's another book, huh? <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, it's definitely adventure. We're, uh, we're making an effort to do as much green energy as possible as well, so wind yeah. turbines and solar power and things like that.
0: I could ask you a billion questions, uh, but we are kind of a, well, we are a gardening show and we do talk about things from the garden and uh, Uh that's the kind of things that I'd like to talk to you about today, especially now in the fall. Uh, I've got the last of the tomatoes ripening in a bowl in the kitchen Uh and I'd like to know more about ways that we can put things up or save things. Uh, I don't have a root cellar. I wish I did. I think everybody should have a root cellar. I think everybody should have a cistern, too. That's a whole nother show.
1: <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, well, great. Yeah, I mean, the the most common ways for preserving things from your garden would be canning, freezing, and drying. Those are the, the three major categories. Um, and they all have different pros and different cons. Um, so it sort of depends on what you're trying to preserve and your time frame and um, what sort of product you want.
0: Well... It's, it's a long story to tell people how to can, especially on the radio, uh-huh.
1: <laughs> uh, because
0: there's so much that goes into it, and it's a lot, a lot of steps, but if you could tell me a little bit about, well, a little bit about these different ways of putting things up, or preserving the harvest, you might say, um, mm-hmm. maybe just give me a little information on the, those three basic ways.
1: Certainly. Um Canning, as you say, is a little bit complicated, but I think it's actually less complicated than most people think. Mm. Um, I mean, the basic concept is just that you're heating the food up to a high enough temperature that you're destroying the bacteria, um, and you're removing as much oxygen as possible from the food so that the bacteria can't grow. Um, So really all that is required is um, you can use either a boiling water canner or a pressure canner. for for most, well, I don't know if I want to say most foods, but um, for high acid foods, a boiling water canner would be just fine. And you really don't need any fancy equipment. You can just use a big kettle, um, fill it up with water, put some sort of rack in the bottom, like you know, some sort of cookie cooling rack or anything like that. Um, you boil the water, and you can put your cans of food right in there, setting on the rack, um, and that will heat up the food to the point that it will destroy most of the the organisms in there. um, Well, you said said
0: high-acid foods. Uh, What are some examples of high-acid foods? Uh,
1: Pickles, tomatoes, most jams and jellies, um, really most fruit. You want to stay away from canning meats with a boiling water canner. That really needs to be done with a pressure canner. Um, And a lot of vegetables would be better off done in a pressure canner. It might work in a boiling water canner, but there's a little bit more risk involved.
0: So you put the the different foods into, I guess we're talking about glass jars. Right. Uh, with uh, the appropriate tops and lids, gaskets, and things like that. <laughs> exactly. And you said you, you put I the, should, yeah.
1: Sorry, I should mention that you want to sterilize those things before you fill them up with food as well. Which can be done just by boiling them empty,
0: and you put you put them in cold water, I guess, and bring it up to a boil so you don't crack your glass. <laughs>
1: well, that would be wise, yes. <laughs> so
0: you, you said you put the food in the in the jars. Are you are you cooking the food or heating it up? Starting with raw food in the jars, or do you cook it first?
1: There are two methods. One's called the hot pack, and one is called the raw pack, um, and they are exactly as they sound. Um, but The safer way to go is to do a hot pack, um, which means that you are cooking the food first and then putting it directly into your jar while it's still hot. Um, The benefit of that is that you end up with less oxygen in the jar um, after it seals, and therefore it preserves a little bit better.
0: So I guess it's best to fill them up right to the top.
1: You want to leave a little space, actually, um, and the amount varies on the food. That's something you probably want to check a recipe for, um, but it's called head space, and it's just a little bit of room at the top of the jar between the food and the lid.
0: Huh. And, of course, if you're making jams and jellies, they would have to be cooked in advance because you're not going to be able to right. really do that in a jar. But I guess yeah. things, <laughs> things like tomatoes and other and beans, too, I guess, the green beans and wax beans, you you could probably cook those in the jar or just cook them slightly, get them up to a certain temperature, and then put them in jars carefully.
1: Yeah, that's what I would recommend, cooking them somewhat at least first and then putting them in the jar while they're still hot. Mm. Not only will it preserve better, but then it's actually easier to use when you want to open your jar and, and use it because it's already partially cooked. and um, you know You really haven't lost many of the nutrients that way, so it just is a little easier all around.
0: So in the book, do you t- also talk about using wax seals, or, or are you mostly using screw tops and and gaskets and lids?
1: Mostly screw tops. Um, although growing up, we did the wax seal pretty regularly. Um, it's actually a little bit safer to do the screw tops, so that's what I recommend now. And easier. Both methods are you know usable though for sure.
0: Well, uh, it sounds like you've done a lot of this <laughs> yourself. <laughs>
1: Um, some certainly not everything in the book, but um, I I did grow up in Vermont, as I said, and we had gardens and did a lot of preserving.
0: And what what are uh, are some other things that you might have preserved that we haven't mentioned yet?
1: Um, well, we could talk a little bit about drying food, um, mm-hmm. which is uh, another great method. It's used. I mean, I've used it mostly for herbs. Um, Herbs are not something you really want to can, obviously, um, mm-hmm. and it's really very simple. You just pick the herbs from your garden, um, wash them off a little bit, get the little garden dirt off of there, and hang them up by uh, by their stems, upside down, and you can hang them anywhere, really, um, preferably where there's not too much light and where there's some air circulation, um, and they'll just dry like that for you.
0: Um well, I guess I was going to ask you about critters, but I guess with herbs, they kind of have natural repellent qualities, so maybe they don't get attacked so much, but do you find that this place has to be kind of free of animals?
1: Um, I would say that's definitely better. Um, I don't think that and I haven't had too much problem with animals or pests of any sort, bothering herbs, um, but you know, you probably don't want to put it in a place that you know is going to be exposed to that sort of thing on a regular basis. Um, The other option is uh, to use a food dehydrator, which will protect the food more. Um, And basically that's a... Generally they're plastic now, and it's a series of racks that circulates hot air through it. Um, There is usually about 140 degrees, so it's a low temperature um, used at a you know, over several hours, and it will dry out your your fruit or your herbs or whatever you put in there.
0: Well, after you dry those herbs, you've got to take them off the stems and put them in some, have a way to store them that's airtight too. But before Mm -hmm. we talk a little bit about that more, I'd like to remind people that they're listening to Kendrew's Real Dirt, The Garden Show. I'm Kendrew's, your host, and I'm speaking with Abigail Gehring, who is the editor of a new book, which is called Self-Sufficiency, A Complete Guide to Baking, Carpentry, Crafts, Organic Gardening, Preserving Your Harvest, Raising Animals, Fixing the Economy. (laughs) Have we left (laughs) anything out? Peace? How to get peace? Healing the world. Yes, healing (laughs) the world. We'll be right back. Clem's Song Sparrow Farm and Nursery grows extraordinary herbaceous perennials, uncommon trees and shrubs, and a selection of luxurious peonies. Song Sparrow Nursery is a proud underwriter of Kendrew's Real Dirt. SongSparrow.com. S-O-N-G-S-P-A-R-R-O-W dot com. Thank you for staying with me. Uh, My name is Ken Drews. I'm the host of Kendrew's Real Dirt. And My guest today is Abigail Gehring. And she's the editor of a new book called Self-Sufficiency. And we've been talking about that. And we've been talking about putting up or preserving how to keep the harvest from your garden. And even if you go shopping and go to the farmer's market and buy some local foods, there's a wonderful bounty at this time of year. And this is when we want to save as much as we can. And we talked a little bit about canning. We talked a tiny bit about drying. We'll talk a little bit about more, that more, too. And I just want to mention that a lot of things don't need much care at all for keeping. I mean, I, I've had winter squash. I hate to tell you, I've had winter squash that I've kept for a year <laughs> in a cool place. Uh, um, and it seems fine. The Potatoes grow eyes sometimes, but uh, butternut squash seems to hold on for about a year. And I guess in, in the book, you talk about just that, too, about just keeping things in a cool, dry place.
1: Yeah, certainly. I mean, a lot of things, like you said, um, squash, potatoes, apples, um, even pears, a lot of things like that really can be kept just as long as they're in some cool, dry place.
0: Well, you talked about the herbs, and and then after you dry the herbs, just by hanging them up and giving them a little space, and it's nice if you have air circulation, if you have a, a nice spot that's dry and has a lot of people just hang them from the ceiling. You've probably seen that. Right. Uh, yes. But the dehydrators, what are the different things that you can dehydrate with a commercial dehydrator?
1: Um, a lot of fruits are popular candidates for food dehydrators, um, you know, bananas, um, a lot of tropical fruits. You know, probably if you go to some sort of food co-op or health food store, you see these canisters full of dried fruits. Um, apricots, any of those things. Um, Depending on where you live, those may not be the things you're actually growing in your garden, Um, but you can also dehydrate a lot of vegetables, um, which are a little bit less popular, but are great um, rehydrated and used in soups or just eaten as they are. Um, Tomatoes are examples. Yeah. um, Even zucchini. Um, Or you can, you know, make things into sort of... uh, a puree and add some spices and create some sort of fruit or vegetable leather, which makes an excellent snack.
0: Wow. Well, there you talked about freezing, and you talked about canning, and what was the other thing you were going to talk about? A Drying? Drying, freezing, well, freezing. Um, I do right. have a question about freezing, which is, sure. which things do I have to Blanch? I mean, can I put things directly from the garden into the freezer, or are a lot of things blanched first? And I guess maybe you can tell me what blanching is.
1: Sure. Um, a lot of vegetables should be blanched first, which is basically just um, sticking them in boiling water for a very short period of time. Um some vegetables don't need that, um, but a lot of vegetables do benefit from that. Beans are best if blanched for you know two or three minutes before they're frozen. Um, broccoli should be blanched for about three minutes, I would say. Um, corn as well. I would say most vegetables that um, that you're going to get out of your garden, you probably do want to blanch for you know three to four minutes. If they're particularly particularly dense vegetable, such as beets, you're going to want to blanch them for even longer, um, maybe even up to half an hour, hmm. um, because they, they do take a little bit longer for that hot water to permeate. And from there, really it's very simple. You just um, put them in any sort of sealed container, um, you know, a plastic Tupperware container or a Ziploc bag, and you put it in your freezer. Can't get much simpler than that. <laughs> so you,
0: well, I know when I do that with fresh blueberries, for example, um, when I'm when I'm being good, I put them on a uh-huh. kind of a tray first and right. freeze them separately, and then put them into a bag or into a, a Tupperware, like you said. But sometimes I just dump them into a bag, and of course I'm just using them for cooking. They're not. They don't come out, and they're not quite fresh tasting exactly. It's different. I mean, there's nothing Mm -hmm. wrong with it. But uh, you, for example, with the beets, do you have to keep the liquid or how do you, how do you do that?
1: Um, Usually I would drain the liquid off, um, but you can save the liquid as sort of a stock, um, either with the beets themselves or separately. Um, There will be a lot of nutrients in that water since you've just boiled the vegetable in the water. um, So it does make a good vegetable stock which can
0: also be frozen. Wow. So you kind of drain these things, and you put them in your containers, and you put them in the freezer, and you Mm -hmm. put a nice label on them.
1: (laughs) Ideally, yes, if you're that organized. Well, (laughs) I will. It's good too. It's not just me. (laughs) (laughs) No, it it definitely makes sense to label what it is and when you put it in your freezer. The
0: date, Mm right. And uh, after I kind of freeze them loose, then I pack them a little bit tighter, Uh, in the freezer and freezing is freezing is wonderful because the stuff does taste so fresh Mm -hmm. Uh, even though it's been frozen for sometimes six months or so it does really taste pretty good Uh, and we talked about drying herbs are there any herbs that you can
1: freeze there are some herbs that you can freeze Um, however freezing affects the flavor of herbs in different ways Um, you know there won't be anything wrong with it for your health but some herbs get stronger frozen, some lose some of their flavor, mm. um, some just change flavor a little bit. Curry, if you try to freeze it, gets sort of a, a musty-off flavor. Um, and you know, pepper or garlic actually gets stronger and a little bit bitter when you freeze it. Mm. Um, so it depends on the herb. It's worth experimenting with. Um, but in most cases, I would say herbs are better off being dried than frozen.
0: Have you ever heard of people putting different herbs or different things in ice cubes?
1: Yeah, to use in drinks later.
0: Or, or to help preserve? Yeah, so, uh, as a way of preserving. Uh, I I can't think of any offhand, but I know that some people do that with, well, I guess with basil leaves. Sometimes they put them in, in an ice cube and then throw the whole thing into something they want to flavor with basil.
1: Sure. You could do that with mint as well, um, mm. which is. Yeah, kind of fun. If then you have lemonade in the summer, you can throw your minty ice cubes in it.
0: That that sounds good, and something I'm going to do. Uh, <laughs> is there great. any anything else that you can think of that uh, of ways that people maybe haven't thought about, or something unusual that you've tried with success?
1: Uh, one simple way for drying things that I find kind of fun. Um, if you have a, a wood stove. Um, which I know a lot more people are going back to now, with the cost of gas and so forth. Um, for drying apples, you can simply core them and slice them and tie a string um, over your wood stove and just string the apple slices on there and leave them um, for a few hours, and the heat from the stove will dry them out. It makes a wonderful smell in your kitchen, um, and it's one of the, the simplest and uh, sort of a fun way to dry fruits. So Something you make kind of
0: apple up. rings, I guess.
1: Yeah, exactly. Uh,
0: how long um, does that take and what kind of temperature are you looking for?
1: Well, I mean, how long it takes does depend on the temperature of your stove. Wood stoves are a little bit difficult to exactly, um, you know, to have an exact temperature. But probably, you know, anywhere from 200 to 300 degrees, oh. it'll take a few hours.
0: Wow, that's higher than I thought. Uh, the the dehydrat- It'll just
1: take longer if it's a lower temperature. It's not like it won't work.
0: But but it won't cook them, though, I guess.
1: Well, it, just, it dries them eventually.
0: And the home dehydrators, the uh, commercial ones, what temperature do they go to?
1: They are usually around 140 degrees. They'll so go a little bit higher and a little bit lower than that.
0: Well, I'm really looking forward to seeing this book. I can't imagine how you've packed... So much into it, you—you <laughs> you have making soap and other crafts and baking bread and and green projects. It's—it uh, I guess this is sort of the Whole Earth uh, catalog of the Green Earth.
1: Oh, uh, thank you. It was a great project. It was a lot of fun and a lot of work.
0: Well, I'm really looking forward to it, and I thank you so much for speaking with me today, and and the listeners and we're going to try some of these harvest and preserving our harvest ideas. I'm going to start right away today actually. And uh, hmm, I think I might be making some rose hip jelly. I forgot about that. Until just a second. Anyway, I've All been right. speaking with Abigail Garing and she's the editor of a new book called Self-Sufficiency: A Complete Guide to Baking, Carpentry, Crafts, Organic Gardening, Preserving Your Harvest, Raising Animals and More. And it, when, you say, when I say complete guide, it sounds like a complete guide. You even have raising goats in this book. Isn't that true? That's true. And boiling sap to make maple syrup. And being in Vermont, I guess you've done all those things. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, many of them anyway.
0: Thank you again, and maybe we'll get a chance to talk. I, I'm looking forward to seeing the book, and have a good day. Thanks, you too. Bye for now. This new book is following in the footsteps of Back to Basics and Homesteading. And it's a large, fully illustrated book that has information on so many different ways to improve your self-sufficiency. You can plant a family garden and harvest the produce. You can construct a hydroponic system, can fruits and vegetables like we talked about today, raise farm animals such as goats, chickens, Even cows make soap. There's lots of things like that, crafty things in the book. Baking breads and desserts and using, well, even using wild mushrooms and other wild plants in the kitchen. And there's interactive projects that you can do with your kids. You can harvest the natural wind and solar energy to cook food and and warm your home build a tree house, make lots of furniture, and even how to boil sap to make, make maple syrup. And Abigail lives part-time in Vermont and part-time in New York City, and her husband is working on a building a post-and-beam house, as we talked about in the beginning of the interview. So it's really just a compendium of all these different ideas. I, I'm not sure how they got it into this new book. I can't wait to see it. It's going to be published in November because I want to learn more about these things. And I I like the idea of having hundreds of bits of information, information for inspiration, lots of ideas. I can't wait to see it. And if you'd like to drop me a line, you can reach me at KenDrewsRealDirt at Yahoo.com. I'd like to know your thoughts. If you have suggestions uh, of people you'd like to hear on the show, please let me know. And join me every week, either on the radio or via iTunes or at the website kendrewsrealdirt.com and I'll see you next week.